welcome to IOM3 Investigates, the podcast series of the Institute of Materials, Minerals and Mining. We are one of the UK's major science and engineering institutions and our activities are focused on the promotion and development of all aspects of the materials cycle. These include the science, design, engineering and technology of materials, minerals and mining and their practical applications. We facilitate qualifications, professional recognition and development, share knowledge and provide networking services to a global membership and wider community. We hope you enjoy our podcast series. Hello and welcome to the latest podcast in our IM3 Investigates series. My name is Ian Bobrick and I'm the Director of Membership and Professional Standards at IOM3. And it's my great pleasure to introduce my guest for today, Colin Cumberbatch, who has recently been appointed as the Chair of our Mining Technology Group. Hello, Colin, and welcome to today's podcast. Well, good morning, Ian. Uh, thanks for inviting me to this. Uh, it's certainly an exciting thing to be doing. Excellent. Thank you. Well, um, as, as always with these podcasts, uh, would you like to uh, share with our, our listeners a bit about your background and career to date, please? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, by background, I'm actually, I, I am a geologist and it goes back a long way to almost childhood days when I first got interested in things like minerals. Uh, I've still got a couple of books on my shelf. I'm looking at them right now, going back a long, long way covering things like uh, history collect, natural history collecting and so on. Uh, and then from there, I really got more interested at um, school in things like geography. Um, and one of my tutors asked about going into do geology A-level. And I thought, oh, that sounds rather good. So I did. And um, thereafter, um, I went to university and, and studied the subject. Uh, that was at Hull University. That course was a straight geology degree, but it had uh, some very good mining and industrial minerals modules on it. After that, I decided to study further. I went to do an MSc, and that was in industrial petrology at Queen Mary College. Now, that was all about applied mineralogy, really, and uh, materials, construction, quarrying, blasting technology, engineering, geology, and all that sort of thing. After which, I went into a period of consulting. My very first job was in engineering geological consulting based in the southeast. However, I think I was a little bit, if I'm looking back now, I was thrown in very much at the deep end there. It was really a job for somebody with 10 years' experience, and it was very difficult. And then an opportunity came up to join the extractive industry sector, and I joined ECC, ECC International as it used to be, and that had various divisions, um, China Clay, it had Ball Clay, and it had the Quarries Division, it's Quarries Division that I joined, but we often had inter-regional or inter-divisional meetings to share ideas amongst each other, and that's, ever since then, I've pretty much stayed in, um, in the sector um, in one form or another, but before I go on to any more, I think I've said quite a lot already. I don't know if there's anything about that that you wanted to ask. Well, I, th I think you, it's quite interesting you were thrown in at the deep end there. I mean, um, obviously, this still happens. I mean, a lot of companies actually do this. And who's going to sink or swim? And what, what advice would you give to, to somebody starting off in the sector that that happens to? 
I think first thing I would say is this is again benefit of hindsight, benefit of experience is don't panic. <laughs> That's the first thing. I didn't I didn't panic at the time. I just felt a bit uncomfortable. Um and I didn't necessarily leave for that reason either because there were there was a managing director of it was a small firm it's now part of RSK consulting it's a small firm that's been absorbed into that group managing director was a great guy and he was he was always there to put an arm around his shoulder and but the trouble is he couldn't teach me because he wasn't from my background he was a structural civil engineer um and it really needed somebody else to come in and later on that did happen um they got a senior engineer in to help out on the ground engineering side but the trouble is you see um another opportunity came around but the best advice is don't panic look to seek advice ask questions uh don't be afraid to admit that you can't do something um you can't do everything nobody can and try and enjoy the moment and you know sometimes you have to take a view that you either stay with it or you don't mm, yeah yeah i mean mentors are very important within in any industry not just the extractives and industry and i've been very fortunate myself to have had them in the past so i can i can i can i can understand from your perspective there what was there any particular and what was the most challenging project that you were involved in in these formative years and 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 why was it challenging for you okay well I think in the formative years I will move on to the extractive sector at ECC for that question because and talking about mentoring I had a great mentor there uh Dr Clive Nicholas who led the department the challenge there was developing into a professional all projects were done in such a way there was a lot of support given by senior staff but at the same time you were expected to come up with your own opinions uh design your own projects write your own reports and i was in a position where that was new to me i was having to reach out and get to a standard that i'd never seen before even at university this was in a professional and industrial environment where money counted uh, and your decisions had impact so there wasn't any particular project in that regard it was all about growing up it was all about becoming a professional and it was at that time actually that i first got introduced to the institute of mining and metallurgy which is now of course part of iom3 and i've been a member ever since mm. um so i learned about the profession i recognized what it meant and i took on the cpd side and have stayed with it ever since cpd is something obviously that, that that's that's been um, around for a long time we haven't actually called it that now because people have to submit records to remain part of registrants what would be your advice to somebody to 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 a young practitioner about cpd somebody coming into professional somebody sort of at the early early sort of career stages I, i would i think the very first thing i found and i would say to anybody coming in is ask yourself the question why am i doing this do you believe in it or do you want to do it just because to others are doing it and it gives you a another couple of initials behind your name and i think you've really got to be honest with yourself about that because i've always felt that yes it gets you letters behind your name but you have to believe in it you have to recognize that without it um you can't reach certain standards you can't have those things approved and accredited um some people don't pay service to that but i have always done that so be honest with yourself i would say and reach out and again like i said earlier in the conversation ask for advice get support 
Um, seek out mentors. Look for your sponsors early on. Um, you will soon find out who's there around. There were people that you can meet through events, uh, through local committee meetings and things like this, or even in business contacts and networking at uh, professional events. So I would say put yourself around a little bit, get, get talking to people. That builds your confidence as well. Very interesting. I mean, obviously you mentioned the Institute um, and moving on, you've just been appointed as the, as the new chair of the IM3 Mining Technology Group. Um, what, was your, what was your motivation for applying? Uh, a lot of what I've just said, actually. Um, obviously, I saw the post come up last year. Um, I'd left the full-time role probably just less than 12 months prior to that coming up. And I was at a stage of my career where I was, I'd taken stock of what had been going on. I'd worked for, after ECC, I went on to work for other industrial operators in, in, the, in the extractive industry sector on mine design and geology and so on. And I went into a period of consulting and then followed by working for a software developer who creates mining and geology 3D software. Um, 3D modeling software. So all of that inspired me. To, I'd grown throughout all that period. I'd learned a lot. I'd made mistakes as well. And I got to a point when this role came up, I thought, do you know what? This is a chance for me to give something back. This is a chance for me to almost reverse my role and say, I started off all these years ago with this, um, with this body I became chartered, uh, I've respected that chartership, I've valued that chartership, and it's time to, as I say, reverse it back and see what I can do uh, for other people. Yeah, excellent. Well, I, I think one of the things when people do actually volunteer to <clears throat> chair these technical groups, it's a bit like the iceberg concept. What they see on the surface uh, isn't what is actually underneath, because uh, there's an awful lot. It's a bit like, you know, jump, jumping over a hurdle and realising the drop is about six foot and it's about a two-foot fence. You don't actually realise what's there. So um, what is it that you're hoping to achieve as chair? What, what, what would you like this group to achieve, uh, say, in, in the next four years? Okay. Well, mining technology speaks for itself. You know, the, the two words, mining and technology, go very much hand in hand. The trouble with it is that mining's got a bit of a reputation and we all, we, any of us that have been associated with it know that it's got some problems to resolve. But it's also got some great innovations and whether that be through transport, whether that be through safety, I mean, safety has moved on massively over the last two or three decades. And that's through technology, it's through technology, it's through application of people. And I find that very motivating for me. And I think that this group, I know that this group has been successful over the last few years, mainly thanks to my predecessor. And I want to continue that. This the IOM3 is one of the cornerstones of, of the body. Mm. And with everything that's going on in the world these days, I want this to still be recognised and I want that recognition to grow. And I think the biggest challenge isn't necessarily from the membership. I think it's from the public and politicians about what do they understand about us? I don't think they understand enough. Uh, yeah, no, I think you're quite right there. I think I, the challenge really is, as soon as you mention the word mining in the United Kingdom, people always think of coal. 
moving of thermal carbon extraction, uh, yeah. which obviously dominated uh, the profession in this country for 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 for, for centuries. Yeah, yeah. But clearly, there are some other opportunities that we're seeing with critical raw materials, lithium, tin, for example. How do you see the group? promoting this this difference, this change, this contribution to achieving net zero? We have to look around in our own backyard, first of all, and ask again, it's asking yourself the question, not just take things for granted, not just jump on bandwagons, ask yourself the question, what society do we live in and why do we do it this way? And if we do continue to do it this way in a growing population that we've got, how do we continue it? We as people demand things and I think that gets often overlooked. And I think the promotion has to be getting the message across why we all enjoy the things that we do and where they come from. That message can't be said often or long enough because although we all know that that's a, a message that needs to be said, it's so difficult to keep that impetus going. And I think if we can actually get the message out that some of these, actually the older mineral sites coming back on stream, ironically, uh, a lot of these are old sites, don't forget. Um, and old locations that have been developed before um, and now we're going back on them and it, actually for a great reason and there's an economic side to it there is a demand side to it there's a technological side to it in all the re reasons whether it's net zero or otherwise and we need to keep that message going I think very much so and I think the uh, the, the statement if it's not grown it's mined um, is something that we need to keep people reminded of as it were as we as we move forward and um yeah i think you know one of, one of the challenges i always have when people talk about mining when they ask me where i work for example is you know this is terrible this is shocking you do this but then i hold a mobile phone up and i say have you got one of these and of course the answer is always yes and i say where do you think this where where the raw material comes from of course and it's, um, it's even more basic than that Ian. where do mm. you live what do you live in what do you sit on where's that come from that's okay, some of that's grown, some of it isn't if it's synthetic. Depends what it's made of. And every single thing that you touch, you can ask that question about, can't you? Mm, absolutely, yeah. Oh, no, absolutely, absolutely. One of the challenges I think that's being faced now is we've, we've having a phasing down of coal um, following the COP26, which was, I think, slightly watered down for phasing out. We've now entered a, a period of geopolitical uncertainty it, with what's going on in Ukraine uh, and 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 Eastern Europe, and obviously now some countries are looking at revisiting coal extraction for energy supply. Um, what's your what's your view on that? I think it's somewhat ironic. Um, it's ironic that it's an energy source that a lot of a lot of people have relied on in the past and created certain industries and created certain standards of living. Obviously. In this country, a lot of it was dying out decades ago, back in the 80s, actually. It's not new that it's just disappeared. It's been disappearing for a long while. Oil and gas clearly played some role in substituting for that, and nuclear to some extent. But isn't it ironic that it's an easy fix now, isn't it? The resources are still in the ground. Mm. Uh, and it's not just the UK. People, mm. Places like Germany, for example closed off a lot of their uh, resources and now they're going back to them. And it's almost, I feel a bit sorry for those people that have been castigated for this in the past, and yet there is still reliance on them. That's clear. That is clear. We are. I, I, I was sharing, actually, on this, 
I was having a conversation with another, another member of the MTG group, Mineral Te uh, Mining Technology Group, the other day, and we were talking about scales of production across the world of coal, be it, you know, with or without Ukraine. And the, the staggering statistic for places like China is three and a half billion tonnes per annum of mm. production. And we never got anywhere near that. And mm. we can't do anything about it. We in the UK can't stop them doing it. Mm. Mm. Australia, the US, they've all got big reserves and they've got pretty big outputs as well. Indonesia, other places. A lot of those countries trade with each other as well. Mm. You know, China and Australia trade with each other a lot. It's easy for us to sit back in, in our armchairs back in England or Scotland, United, Northern Ireland, Wales, wherever it is in the UK, and say, we shouldn't be doing this. Mm. But look at the rest of the world and why is it happening? And mm. right now, we've got an energy fit, energy problem. We've got mm. a real energy problem. They're talking about lights going out in the winter. I don't know whether that's going to happen or not. That is crazy, isn't it? Mm. Here we are. Here we are in this century, and we're one of the most advanced economies in the world, and we're talking about switching the lights off. Part of this could be <clears throat> laid at the door of, of government for not yeah. having a, a proper integrated energy policy. I, I can, from my own experience, even going back to the 1990s, doing work on this in another organisation. And, and looking at that, do you think that we should actually um, have a proper integrated energy policy uh, which looks to the future? How do we, for example, ensure baseload? What do you think an integrated energy policy would look like? Uh, first question first, of course we should have one. Mm. We should have had one for the last 20, 30 years. Mm. And it's not the first time that this conversation has been had by people. And why can successive governments not see it? I just don't understand that. Is it because they're only there short term and they can't think long term? Don't know. But of course we should have one. And it's all about balance again. It's a bit like diets. The old advice about being having a balanced approach is not never a bad eye, never a bad way to go. It's even like investing. You know, you spread your you spread your investments. That means that you can spread the risk mm. you can spread the risk and take opportunities when they come and i think that's what we've got to be doing and we, again let's be honest if ever we get to a position where coal can be phased out entirely across the world that that might come one day i don't know likewise with hydrocarbons again i don't know but in the meantime you can't just switch everything off people are talking about germany you know oh why are you funding the russian uh, war by taking their uh, gas through that pipeline you try telling the Germans to put all their people in darkness and without heat. Are they going to do that? No. Mm, mm. So, of course, we have to have one. And I think it's about balance. And I think it's about taking stock of what resources you have. Mm. And if you need to use them when things get really desperate, well, what's wrong with that? No, interesting. And of course, um, even if we, 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 we don't talk about the extraction of, of hydrocarbons, the, the mining industry has a very significant role to play in the raw materials for things like wind turbines, um, P photovoltaics, etc., etc. So where do you see the, the wins for the mining industry as we make this, this trans energy transition? Yeah, two different li parallel lines there, actually. One, the energy side, and the other one, the materials side. On the materials side, it's going to be demand-led again. And the trouble is, with you said that what can't be grown must be mined, but also you cannot mine where it doesn't exist. And unfortunately, or fortunately for some people, however we look at it, the, 
some of the mining territories are in very difficult environments. Uh, then we introduce ourselves to not only is the material of sufficient quality and quantity, but who controls it? Hmm. Where does it come from? And again, I, I was reading some interesting things about not only the mineral supply, because that's where the mining comes in, but if you look at the downstream end, sometimes in the past, mining has tended to be a little bit vertically integrated in some ways. And then that gives you control. But at the other times, it doesn't necessarily control your cost best. And it's now got to a situation where some of these critical minerals and metals that are being processed are actually being processed in guess where, China. Mm. And they've got the lion's share of it again. Mm. Not, yeah. not the actual resource in the ground, but yeah. the supply chain. They are, I, I think, yeah. they are clever. They are clever the way they're doing this. I think it was very, <clears throat> it was very interesting uh, when um, uh, the US pulled out of Afghanistan um, that uh, certain Chinese companies were very quick on the mark uh, to start striking agreements in that country and, and obviously go. the wealth of materials that's actually there as well. Okay. Um, obviously, um, looking more at the best practice in environmental technology and mining uh, we're certainly seeing um, some excellent examples by the next generation of members coming into the institute who are mm -hmm. uh, working in the mining profession mining engineers uh, geotechnical engineers um, engineering geologists etc what sort of best practice are you yourself seeing from the industry at the moment that you feel that we should be highlighting to the wider world well uh, in Recent years, I was uh, I got behind the scenes of mining software, mining and mine design and geology software. That in itself has come on leaps and bounds, and it is so advanced. And I think this is an area where people can take an interest because it's not only about looking at what's in the ground and getting out on the site. It's also about thinking. It's also about application, and it is genuine design. You can be very creative with it. And I think these are areas where the next generations might well get more from things. It's not just a case of saying, oh, what do you think this mineral is? It's what can I do with it? And how do I safely get it out of the ground? Mm. I can design something accordingly. That's one area. The other area that I think is very interesting, in the last 12 months, I've seen been on a couple of um, webinars, and there was a recent article about, I think it's Rio Tinto in Australia. I think it's Rio. Um, it's one of the majors anyway, who have now pretty much at the stage where they can remotely manage some of their operations. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. They've, got, they've got these like technical centers that people can do things from a distance. Not all of it. They can't literally mm. dig, dig, dig out the ground from a distance necessarily, mm. but um, maybe that's coming. And this is exciting stuff. However, there is a downside to this. We mustn't lose sight of that excitement of being amongst it, going out there, seeing the scale of it, getting the feel of what goes on and the impact of getting something wrong. Mm. Because if you don't do that, you can't come up with sensible recommendations. No, I attended the ABMEC conference at the end of last year and um, Komatsu, who obviously make a lot of equipment, actually showed me what the, a mine site of the future would be. And it was very remotely controlled. Um, mm. A lot of smart technology. We were seeing Industry 4.0 there in lights. And certainly from what we're seeing from our newest members involved in the industry, you know, Industry 4.0 isn't just creeping up on us. It's now tapped us on the shoulder. And a lot of these people are using coding as part of their course. They're, they're, they're being taught coding, as well as the fundamentals of mining technology. 
so how are you do you do you think um, the industry or do you think our our education system is adapting to the needs of industry quick enough is it actually doing that or is it still has a product which is is no longer current it's difficult that isn't it i think i think there's so many interrelated things to answer that question you have to have interest to enable think uh institutions like universities to thrive it's one on one leads to the other which comes first the, the course or the student the, the potential student um if you've got that it's like i was saying in my early years about having that sort of um it's just a desire really to get interested in it and feel what it's all about and i think that will then help places like universities to feed we know that there is a problem at the minute with the number of courses we haven't got a massive well, shall we call it non-coal, non-hydrocarbon mining industry in the UK at the minute? It does exist, but it's certainly not on the scale of something like Australia, for example. Mm. Now, again, we have an opportunity. The industry has an opportunity. If it can get this right, all of a sudden we might find get more and more people saying, I want to know more. And if they say, I want to know more, then universities can feed off that because there'll be another demand coming through. I find it quite worrying that I think there's two things. There's a lot of experience in the industry about to leave, and we've been saying that for the next for the last 10, 20 years, but it's it's that very slow denudation of experience. And if you don't replenish it, then you're in trouble. I, I've actually got a there's a conference going on in Exeter on extractive industry geology, and I'm just going to go along for part of that. But what struck me about it was the number of new names as presenters coming through. That's a great sign. Mm. Some of those have come from companies operating in the Southwest because it's an Exeter-based conference like Cornish Lithium, for example. But I also think there's new consulting groups that have come into the market like Stantec have acquired UK businesses. So we're getting an internet, more international scene and we can learn from that as well. But there is prom- there are promising signs of growth with people coming through. I do think that, mm. which is encouraging. But we haven't, we can't, you know, rest on our laurels. No. Um, the educational sector at the minute, um, Camborne, great initiative with the degree apprenticeship scheme, which is coming through, hopefully. Um, that's quite innovative, that, isn't it? But also a necessity because other things are not quite falling into place. And mm. uh, hopefully we can inspire people to get involved, younger people coming through. Mm. What do you want to do as a career? How about this? Oh, and look what this technology can deliver. I've already mentioned a couple of areas. I'll mention a third one, transport, not just, not just uh, in terms of mobile plant, because we know about hydrogen vehicles that have been developed in, in Africa, which is great. But another example in the UK, um, and this is in a quarry in, in, in the Midlands, um, where there's an aerial roadway now being used to um, transport overburden from a new quarry area to backfill an old quarry. I think it's a Swiss-based system, if I remember rightly, or Austrian, one or the other. But what's ironic about that is, A, it's great because it's taking trucks away, but it's easy to transport. It's been expensive to set up, yes, but a great way of keeping things ticking over. And actually, it's a little bit the old, I don't really come across them, Ian, but the old gravity-fed ropeways, I think, that mm. are still in existence in the northwest of England, for transporting clay and brick sites. Mm, mm. That didn't require any power whatsoever apart from inertia mm. and momentum. Now, that's old technology, but let's make the most of that as well. And 
I think if that can get more publicised, then that might help as well. It's, it's very good to, to, to hear that there are new faces coming onto the scene. Um, how do we inspire the next generation of, of mining engineers, geologists? Um, obviously, we, we know that Camborne has paused their first degree course. Um, geology right. courses are, are suffering from numbers, uh, the decline of numbers of students. How are we going to inspire people to take up these careers? Is it through this promotion of these technological solutions you've talked about, however straightforward they are? What's your opinion on that? I think that's part of it, Ian. But I also think it's about inspiring to realise that mining and minerals are part of the earth. We live on the earth. If you can't get excited about something like the earth and what it's made of, I don't know what you can really, because to some people it sounds a bit boring, oh, it's a rock. Well, next time somebody goes through a motorway cutting or goes into a quarry or even goes into places like Edinburgh, for example, where they've built retail parks in old quarries in the city, take a look around and realise where you are stood. You are stood amongst an excavation that has exposed the earth, the earth upon which we have drawn, from which we have drawn resources. And you can make a difference to that, change the way things are done. You, what, I, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm biased. I've always been excited by being able to stand amongst these things. I take, I take great awe looking around me and looking at rock strata, looking at soils, looking at even vegetation cover and looking at the earth and its processes. And I, I find that very fascinating. And I hope that, I really do hope that we can use that sort of thing, the processes on the earth to inspire people to mm. come through as well as the technology. Yeah, that's, that's, that's very, that's very exciting indeed. Um, moving forward, moving forward, if we were to record a similar podcast in four or five years time, what would you expect us to be talking about in terms of the UK extractive industry? I'd like to think that we've got some of these sites being developed at the moment in operation, fueling some of our own, national demands because we are demanding things mm. let's mm. let's feed some of ourselves with it i'd like to see some of the problems with the education sector resolved and more courses being taught again because i think the other thing just one point on this actually one quite worrying trend is protests about education sector in mining i've i know one or two groups out there who would who are actively boycotting or encouraging boycotts of, of these things. And I, I think we've got to get the message across about that as well, that it's, it, it, you know, in terms of being able to um, influence people, you have to be able to negotiate with people as well. And, you know, it's not going to be an easy ride, but the opportunity is still there. And with all this demand going on, it's almost going to become a no-brainer. Unless things change again, of course, in five years' time, who knows what might change in the world that might we having a, an entirely different conversation. Indeed, and and um, I, I look forward to the Mining Technology Group taking up that agenda, actually. So, um, But thank you very much for that. Um, I think in closing, I'd just like to, to thank you very, very much for your time today, Colin. And I'd like to, leave, to, to ask you if there are any final thoughts you'd like to um, leave with our listeners on this podcast, please. Well, I would. First of all, thanks for inviting me again. I've really enjoyed the conversation. But it's just a message out to all, uh, particularly our members in IOM3, Please take a look at what we do. Keep up to date with us. We, we are trying to remain active in uh, Money Technology Group. We are one of the largest groups in the, in, in the IOM3. 
we've got a lot of very proactive people with good ideas. We're putting on, trying to put on meetings. We keep newsletters going. We want to keep you involved and recognize what you're getting for your subscription to IOM3. So we're here for you. Please come and talk to us. Look out for things on the website, newsletters, and you're invited to respond and drop me a line anytime. Excellent. Thank you, Colin. And as one of the <clears throat> I'm three members, um, part of the Mining Technology Group, I look forward to seeing what's going to be coming up in the next in the next few years. Colin Comerbatch, thank you very much for your time today. And also thank you to our listeners for joining us. And we look forward to you joining our next podcast. Thank you. information about us visit iom3.org or to keep up to date with our latest news follow us on social media using at iom3 on twitter and at the institute of materials minerals and mining on linkedin if you're interested in our upcoming podcasts or want to get involved please subscribe to hear more from us through apple google podcasts or spotify